with Dr. Annette Dubard. Uh, Annette, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. So your formal title here at Allidate is Vice President for Clinical Strategy. Is that right? Yes. So what does that what does that role entail? In any population of uh, patients, there's a lot that goes poorly from a both the patient and provider perspective. So patients who are falling through the cracks in terms of preventive care, in terms of finding a healthcare provider that fits well with them and you know gaining access to that. There's a lot of falling through the cracks in how we communicate and coordinate care across providers, especially for our complex patients who are Medicare typically have five or more specialists involved in their care on average, taking 12 or more medications. Right. And then all the discoordination of care across physical silos, too, as people transition from inpatient and ED and skilled nursing settings and in and out of the behavioral health uh, system. So when you're faced with all the needs, <laughs> which, uh, which is also means a lot of opportunity sure. to improve, we have to do some strategic thinking around where to focus, right? And I, I think for Allidade, really helping us think through within practices, within regions, within payer populations, where's the greatest impactability? And matching that to what practices are ready to take on, what are the what are the opportunities for partnership within the region? Where are we most likely to achieve what we're seeking? Better outcomes and better patient experience at lower costs is gonna vary by kind of a number of factors. So I like to think of this clinical strategy role to help us get into a better place of thinking that through in a much more contextualized way across all the opportunities out there. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. And you're also uh, part of the product team. Mm-hmm. And before coming to Allidate, I worked on a, a more traditional software product in the healthcare space. And in that world, product has a very clear definition. It's the software that you're delivering folks and mm-hmm. everything that wraps around that. But we didn't have a service component. So I'm curious, given the complexity of what we do here at Allidate, could you talk us through what a product means here or what you know, what the product team means different than maybe a pure software offering. Yeah, and I think that term is interesting. The connotation of vendor, a software company, somebody trying to sell me something. I think it's right. not, it's not a very particular great, connotation. Exactly. It's not a great connotation. So hopefully the connotation for Allidate is that um, it's not theoretical, it's not ideas it's not concepts but that we what we're bringing to our practices and our patients are hardened proven um, approaches to um, getting to the goals um, that that we're setting and so I think a product of of, uh, figuring out the right thing to do and making the right thing to do the easy thing to do so getting getting much more firmed up point of view about how do we make how do we make changes um, in how we are assuring um, better health lower costs for populations and getting that really making that easy for practices in the term in terms of um, uh, tech and data and enablement and in terms of helping practices with um, with workflows and roles and responsibilities um, in the practice and helping uh, broker relationships with other entities involved in the care of our patients. Um, all of that is kind of productizing um, how, do you, how do you take care of populations well. Plus the tech component. 
I really haven't thought yeah. of it that way, that our product is the right thing to do. It's a nice right way to see to it. do, and hopefully the easy thing to do once uh -huh. we get it right. Yeah. It's yeah. not exactly a widget, you know, yeah. <laughs> the way, yeah. the way uh, you know, another company might yeah. do a product. But So what, where did, how does the tech component play into that? We are able to take advantage more and more of technical advances in terms of bringing compelling pieces of information to together and getting, you know, working that into the clinician and, and staff workflows so that they have really actionable insights into information um, that that they didn't previously have that kind of takes a lot of the of the guesswork out of <laughs> out of the patient's needs right. and, and and what needs to happen next as we you know kind of work with providers on how to uh, finally make um, their EHRs um, work for them <laughs> you know in a it, to, to make the to make the the work of the day um, a little bit easier through thinking about template optimization and um, and standing orders and um, referral pathways these kinds of um, technology uh, solutions that can can help kind of further the mission and hopefully do it in a way that makes uh, allows everybody to work at the top of their license and um, make all of this work easier. So true tech-enabled services. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned that some of the best things we can do are, are when they're win-win-win, you know, provider, patient, taxpayer. But let's talk about an issue where the next win can feel a little thorny, making sure everybody feels like they win, which is referral management. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about how, how that fits into the strategy you're describing? Referral management, there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of pieces of that elephant you know, that, we're, that we're actively trying to bring into focus. But, you know, broadly, Allidate has seen universal great success. What you might expect in doing primary care well, that we can increase access to primary care, utilization of primary care, and the result of that is decreased ED visits and decreased hospitalizations and decreased readmissions. And pretty much universally, that has been the experience of all the ACOs that, that, that we've um, been partnering with, is that stuff kind of happens, falls into place as you empower primary care clinicians to do what they do, which is first contact, longitudinal, comprehensive, coordinated care for patients. Um, the place where, where we have not had universal success yet with Avidade is really understanding how to um, understand and rein in escalating costs on the specialist side and um, in the hospital outpatient side. So. Um, we, like the rest of the nation, are seeing really continued um, rapid cost growth in areas around procedures and testing, and particularly in markets with, you know, hospital monop monopoly on a lot of specialized services um, and kind of the facility fees uh, that get incurred as there's more and more market consolidation around specialty care. Um, so it's this, uh, this mountain that we're facing is really helping to, uh, it's really trying to figure out what are our opportunities within this broad area of ambulatory, um, ambulatory care specialist uh, spend, including the, the imaging and uh, testing of procedures, 
that come with uh, specialist utilization, what can we impact as a primary care-led uh, ACO? And so that's been it's that's been really interesting to work on, and and we're beginning to you know really make some headway in terms of uh, on a number of fronts. So one is. Um, really just giving the primary care providers a more visit, ready visibility into where else their patients are receiving care, which there's often some, there's often some surprises there, you know, when you can actually present, see the full spectrum of all the care a patient is receiving. You may not realize that when you suggested they see a cardiologist uh, the first time that that actually turned into four different cardiology visits and instructions to the patient to keep coming back every two months to see the nurse practitioner for a blood pressure check or that your patient was self-referring to the urologist because they thought they had a UTI and then kept seeing the urologist every every three months or the therapist that you the one physical therapist that you refer to, you know, typically sees the patient, um, you know, six times and lets them go. And another physical therapist is on average seeing a patient 18 times over the course of a year. Or these kinds of just visibility into what's happening is often an aha moment for primary care docs who, within their own four brick walls, are often, too often, out of the loop of, of some of what's going on out there. So, um, that's really um, helped open up really robust conversations between um, our, our docs and our, our patients around um, what is, is this meeting your needs and um, is, is, does, is, or is, is there anything that I could be doing for you here that would relieve you from having to do this many visits? Um, or conversations with the with the specialist providers around expectations for no I actually manage blood pressure and diabetes here in my own office and we don't want to make things more confusing by having uh, co-management of conditions that I'm comfortable handling so a, a lot of times these conversations just need to happen we're siloed in what everyone's doing within the context of their own 15-minute visits we we create a lot of messes for patients it brings me to something that I was very naive about when I came. Joe had a business background. I did not that I thought I'm going to go to Allidate and we are going to take venture capital money and we're going to reduce healthcare costs and improve patient care at the same time. And everybody's going to be for that. Mm-hmm. Who would be against that? And it didn't occur to me that there was somebody on the other side who would be losing revenue who would not be for it, who we would be having to, yeah. to do a dance with. Yeah. Right. So, and that was your original question. So the idea of... You know, so the roadblocks around, well, what do you think of this? You're, every cardiologist in your area is doing a PET scan on 90% of the time that they ever do a, a stress test. And is that really necessary? That is also an eye-opener aha moment, but it doesn't mean that you can do anything about it. So when you run into, okay, I'll go have a conversation with the cardiology practice, please consider exercise treadmill tests when it's appropriate is a hard is a card conversation to have with a practice that has just invested in equipment that <laughs> needs to be paid off and uh, and has you know and, and feel and feels confident in their own clinical expertise on appropriate stress testing so these are conversations that that are not easy or necessarily fruitful to to try to to try to run into so it's I think it's back to 
stick with the <laughs> stick with the win wins and the and the the win-win opportunities for now and that there's enough of those out there really uh, kind of rack up some 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 wins for our patients and our our docs um, without getting into the more the harder more mutable stuff so that's interesting that you have that perspective Josh because I would think it would be just the opposite to be honest having worked in clinical medicine and in government I always felt like everything was really hard like your first response was no we can't do that you know there's not if it was in government when i worked in the senate it was that there's no money in the budget to change things that drastically um, and then of course when i was in clinical medicine everything was defined in what we couldn't do the limitations of the hospital or the system or you know what we had on formulary or whatever it was and then when i transitioned to the startup space it was all blue sky you know you could do anything and so in previous startups that I'd worked in uh, with non-healthcare people I was the only or one of two or three um, people had any clinical background I was um, the only one in the office who was saying this is gonna be much harder than you guys think it's gonna be so um, it's interesting that you came in thinking that it was gonna be mm-hmm. you know rainbows and unicorns <laughs> which is great and that's a better attitude to have coming in um, but I definitely think you get that whole mix here from so many folks who have a clinical background or a government background or you uh-huh. know, straight business background. Um, but going back, Annette, to your uh, clinical experience, Josh and I are both physicians, as folks who have listened to other podcasts on here will know well. Um, has looking at the data that you've seen on referrals from a hub position here, um, looking out into all the spokes of Allidade, uh, has it made you think differently at all about referral patterns from when your clinical days? Would you have done things any different or, or thought about it differently? I, I think we have very different opportunities than we had even 10 years ago, you know, mainly on the technology side in terms of visibility into these things. Um, and so, I mean, when I was in practice, it was... It it was look, here's a here's a new patient just got discharged from a hospitalization that clearly was a twelve thousand dollar hospitalization no records you know brown bag of of twenty medications no and I, I'm sure that's still true right. but what's different now is at least a little more ability to. Um, facilitate kind of transfer of information across uh, sites of care Um, and the concept of the care team where someone will have already reached out to that patient at the time of hospital discharge to try to clarify what happened and what points of medication confusion might be and uh, what were the expectations around follow-up appointments or pending uh, studies and, and, you know, get that a little bit uh, more teed up for a productive uh, conversation in the, in the transitional care visits. So I think, I feel like that's the, that's the main difference is, is that we can't, I don't believe that primary care docs ever wanted to hide in their own four walls. I think all of us always were desperate for information and on a lot of wheels trying to hunt down the hospital discharge uh, record. Um, And so there's pieces of that that are easier now. And now we also have 
a little better aligning of incentives about around why it also makes business sense to our independent practice businesses to be able to to be able to do this more holistic person accounting of uh, of responsibility. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So you're talking about data as a as a key to this, where the primary care provider in the past wouldn't have even known what her his patients were up to. So it seems like that's a big part of it. And what part of data would you use to measure success of an effort like this? Of uh, referral, referral management. management. Yeah. In terms of kind of key performance indicators that we're trying to keep an eye on um, at a central level, we've really operationalized a few things that kind of speak to different aspects of referral management. So we've been talking a lot about specialist utilization, and we're really tracking for every provider in practice, what is the use of specialists, you know, by specialty area for their patient population? Able, able to kind of see when there's a wide variation and for example, how frequently a given provider sends a patient to dermatology and where there's really wide variation in that, is that worth of conversation? Does that unearth um, some signals around the comfort level of different clinicians within the practice about taking care of things in-house versus needing to refer out. So I always go first to like the use of data for like understanding the opportunity and the potential intervention. How we turn that into a, a, a metric is just the longitudinal following of uh, does that change over time? Do we see reduction? What do you say when the, the provider says, look, I, I see this guy at Little League it's an uncomfortable conversation. I, I don't want to do this. I think that's interesting. And, you know, we, we are obviously working in a lot of rural communities, and there's a lot of important relationships like that. I share a few with this person, and kids are in school together. I think that's, like, that's an awesome starting point um, in terms of, I think it takes some coaching and, and you know, helping the, our primary care um, leaders and communities think about, What's the conversation I want to have, which should be, you know, a respectful, I really want to engage with you, like, as, as a partner in what we're trying to do here, what might that look like? And, you know, maybe you, maybe you get somewhere and, and maybe you're stuck, but um, there's no, if anything, those kinds of relationships just lay a stronger foundation for bringing uh, specialists into the picture as potentially actually being helpful partners in terms of understanding our expectations for the care of our of our patients. So you go right at the issue, you think, and, and be, you know, it's what you your discussion before was about empowering primary care providers is what it sounded like to me, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And I imagine this is one area where um, objective measures like data help it improve that discussion um, and make it less about um, the personal aspect that, you know, you're trying to um, meet protocols and do what's best for your patients and, you know, yeah. it allows you to have that discussion on a more even footing. Um, do you ever hear that this seems to be uh, antagonistic to specialists? We, we definitely hear discomfort from a lot of primary care providers, you know, along these lines. It's not my job to tell a specialist how to practice. Um, so there's like, there's some, there's definitely some uh, in, instincts um, that, you know, need clarification. Like there's no, yes, it is not your job to tell a specialist how to 
that's, that's right. You can encourage the dialogue to happen, even if the dialogue is, look, isn't this interesting? We share 300 patients, which is that we can equip them. We share, there are 300 patients that we have in common, and it doesn't feel like we have a great system for communicating with each other. It's, and I wanna make sure you have my back office number, or I wanna make sure we have each other's cell phone number. Would it be okay for me to text you sometimes if I'm kind of wondering, should I, does they need to be seen now, or should we wait till next week? And that kind of relationship building dialogue is, is you know, what I mean by kind of some of the win-wins in terms of improving coordination and just, and helping specialists understand that uh, we want our patients back and, <laughs> and that kind of thing is easy it, you know it's much easier than the I want you to stop doing pets pet scans on, right. <laughs> on my patient but I think once once we tap out on all the opportunity around the easier stuff we'll worry about them I wanted to say I, I think the flavor the cultural flavor of this in different parts of the country is also interesting it is really different in Florida we have specialist utilization in general much higher than we're seeing in many other areas of the country and that's probably not a surprise to anyone who has ever done kind of health services research but that kind of the well no that's just what people do in florida they see uh, they go see their specialists um you know at least two a week is it it's a very different kind of culture cultural context to work within than kind of the the rural community I, i you know i sit in the same pew uh with this guy versus you know we have a you know, some of our ACOs have been, have taken much more of a, what? They're doing what with my patient? You know, much more of kind of aggressive. I'm not going to stand for this. So I, I, you know, I don't want to minimize that there's a different flavor to this in, in different localities, which is kind of, kind of cool <laughs> to, right. to see. Yeah. And, that, you know, people need to figure out their own solutions and, and, and what, what makes sense for within their communities, but not almost always there's a little, there's a little something we can do to make all of this better, um, certainly from the patient's perspective and from a um, cost and quality perspective. You know, as, as we come near wrapping up, you had, uh, in preparation for today, sent me and Joe some statistics, and they're pretty amazing. Can you, can you share some of those numbers? Yeah, so what I was uh, kind of alluding to before, like in national surveys, if you ask people about their experience uh, with referrals, a third a, a third of MDs would respond they have a real trouble receiving a referral in a timely member. 68% of specialists will say that prior to the visit, they've received no information from the primary care doc. That's embarrassing. 25% of PCPs say they received no information back from the specialist within two weeks after a visit. Like, that's a, that's not acceptable, that's but it's yeah. pervasive. You know, it's widespread, and these are things that, you know, don't work for any any uh, member of the system. Within, I think the other thing I'd share with you is that within Allidade, within our Medicare population, across all of the states that we work within, our, our patients are seeing on average 5.6 specialist visits in a year. And we we do a thing within Allidade where we really, uh, kind of a hotspotting approach of, of flagging patients who are are having a very unusual amount, like greater than two standard deviations of, of specialist utilization adjusted for their clinical risk. And um, that term specialist super utilizers 
who were kind of flagging for an extra look and outreach and um, see if they, uh, you know, if they warrant further attention. Those folks, that's 5% of the population, but they're seeing on having on average 21 specialist visits a year. Um, so, you know, wow. even in that 5% of the population, kind of getting getting our arms around that and, and getting them down to 16 specialist visits a year instead of 21 would be, uh, would have a dramatic, that'd be $20 million in savings across Allidade, um, like right there. So it's a lot, there's, there's definitely an important, you know, um, cost implication in terms of discoordinated specialist care, which again makes this one of those win-win-wins in terms of patient experience, provider experience, and, and cost outcomes to really try to do a better job with. Well, Annette, thanks so much for your time. This has been really interesting, and uh, we appreciate all the hard work you're doing on a, on a tough issue. Thanks. Enjoyed the conversation.